Check Out, the podcast of Evanston Public Library. I'm Jill Schachter. So what exactly will we be checking out here? This is a podcast celebrating and educating on all things Evanston, including cool people doing amazing things across the diverse spectrum of the Evanston we love. Along the way, you just might learn a little something about the role the library plays in our community. I'm here today with Christine Wolf, a 23-year Evanston resident. Christine describes herself as an author and enterprise journalist. But Christine wasn't always a writer. She's previously worked in advertising and spent years teaching. But about 15 years ago, she decided she wanted to be a writer and jumped in with both feet, often exhibiting a good dose of bravery in the kinds of topics she takes on. Today, we're going to talk about her writing path, the kinds of stories she likes to tackle, and how she engages the community through a career that is now about storytelling and making connections that can make a difference. Christine, welcome to the checkout. Thanks, Jill. So you, you are a bit of a shapeshifter, I would say. First the ad exec and the preschool teacher and now a writer. Can you tell me a little bit about the um, turning point where you decided... I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to do this. Oh, uh, absolutely. Thank you for having me and for asking about my story. I, uh, you know, have always loved to write. And I started writing in my journal when I was seven, eight years old. And I'd always go back to that. And I tried on a lot of different types of hats, I suppose, um, you know, working in business and then teaching. I loved I loved the second one. I wasn't so good in the business world, but after 10 years of teaching, I just was feeling like I wanted to take a short break and write a children's book and then go back to it. But once I dove into the writing world and figured out that that's where my people were, I never looked back. And it it just, it came from deep within. It really almost was unconscious. So you're a really a unique kind of storyteller. I feel like you come at storytelling from a lot of different angles. Um, at the library, we present storytelling in many different forms. We've had a storytelling festival for many years. We have um, authors come in and do readings, both for adults and for kids. We have theater students from Northwestern presenting stories as theater. Um, you sort of arrived on the scene as a writer at a time when the internet was really, there were a lot of new opportunities for writers. Um, how do you see sort of your your position as a writer? What um, kinds of storytelling uh, sort of gives you the most energy or do you find the most exciting or, um, you know, you're, it's a bit of a new world for writers. There are a lot of different ways to get oneself out there. You don't have to depend on traditional publishers as much. You can talk about that a bit. Absolutely. I, you hit it. Absolutely. I, I stepped in to the world of writing at a time that how could I have ever known? Everything was morphing and changing, and the flexibility was uh, the flexibility of, of the industry was just. Unreal. I mean, it was I really could, democratizing, and I there was so believe, much more access. Right, and the big publishing houses were closing or merging. Uh, editors were becoming agents, and people were self-publishing like crazy. And 
I just, I remember thinking, what have I stepped into? I just really wanted to write a children's book and then go back to teaching preschool. But um, when I realized the world of publishing was so, there was so much opportunity, I didn't even know where to put myself. So I tried to put myself everywhere. I mean, I, I really was grabbing stories where I could to fill my blog. I just wanted content out there because I wanted to show that I was a writer. I think back when you stepped in is when writing really started being called content. You're right. It wasn't even called content when I started. I just remember thinking, okay, so my goal is to be a published author so I can prove to everybody that I've taken off my gear and, and spent my time wisely and not selfishly. And I realized in the beginning of my year off to write that there was no way I was going to get a book published. I had so much to learn. So I, you know, created a blog. I don't even know how I knew how to create a blog. I think people were creating blogs and I thought, well, I'll do one. And as soon as I started putting what is now called content onto the blog, um, I'd get feedback. And that was just so rewarding. It and maybe the feedback was just from my mom, but, you know, then she would share it with somebody. And then at the same time, Facebook was sort of popping up. And so I got brave enough to share here and there. And that sort of took off. And that led to patch.com, um, which was a brand new hyperlocal news source. And that kind of turned me into a columnist without knowing what I was doing and then that turned into a column with the Sun-Times and then the Tribune and Chicago Now. There there are no limits, I guess, right. is the point. Right. And and that's a that's a beautiful thing, especially when you just don't even know what it is that you want to put out there. You just know that you want to put things out there and make connections. You describe yourself as a storyteller and a connector. So tell me about those, um, how those two roles intersect. Like what, what connections are you hoping to make? I am trying to make connections that are authentic. So the easiest way for me to relate to people is just to hear what their stories are. And what I find most um, meaningful when I meet somebody new is asking them about themselves. I think one of the easiest way to ways to get to know people is just give give some space to hear what it is about them. So in the writer's life, I imagine there's a lot of room for serendipity. Mm-hmm. And one thing I know is that when you first started out as a writer, you were uh, working on a children's novel. Mm-hmm. But then that experience amazingly dovetailed into interviewing President Obama <laughs> on a Google Hangout. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about how that all came about? Because that's a pretty big deal. It was just crazy. And it was serendipitous. And I really think it was just a matter of um, not trying it, to to do anything except just be who I was and to listen to the stories that were within. So the whole thing came about, and maybe I'll just back up a little bit, but I started writing a children's novel because I thought incorrectly that that would be easier than writing for adults. And the reality is writing for kids is chock full of um, 
kind of guidelines and you know parameters and you really need to speak to children at the age that they're at and so kind of stifled your freedom it was a, a really huge learning curve and as I was doing that whole process of learning how to write for children um, I was digging deep into learning about a, a, my protagonist and at that time it was in 2012 uh, the State of the Union had just happened, and Google put out a um, call for people to submit questions to President Obama. And I submitted my question based on how I thought my protagonist would have asked it. Oh, that's interesting. So I sort of channeled her, and the question was, you know, during the recession, President Obama, what would you say to the children of our nation whose parents are losing their jobs? And, um, you know, what sort of hope would you give the kids? And that question was picked out of just a bunch that were submitted. And I was just as shocked as could be. And Do you then, know how many questions were submitted? A lot. I mean, I think maybe 100, 130,000, somebody said at one point. Oh, yeah. and, um, oh my gosh. And yeah. they chose your question. They did. And this yeah. was going to be on a Google Hangout, which were probably kind of new in it was they? the first one. It was the first oh, Google Hangout kid. that Get had out. ever. Yeah, and and I didn't even I knew what Google Hangouts were, but I really I I hadn't been on many, and so you know, folks from Google came and they set up uh, a live connection from this table here. Oh, right where we are right now in my dining room. And you mean uh, President Obama was virtually right where I am right now? Uh, yes, he was. I was looking at him on a monitor, and I, you know, we had a direct feed right into the White House, which that was that is so awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was, and and you know, it was nerve wracking, but it was also just so thrilling. And especially my favorite part about it was that they had asked. Um, for my children to be there so I could introduce them to him. So that was the highlight for me. And it was um, one of the, right here on the wall, there's a letter from him because I thanked him for the opportunity to meet him and he wrote back. Well, that is so cool. Um, I have noticed, um, because I follow your writing, you you do a lot of work on social media, a lot of your stories, I see there. I see a lot of following for your stories on social media. I know uh, social media, and I know you write for Medium, um, and you've been a blogger and a columnist. So I've been reading your work for a long time, and I have noticed, and I'm sure others have too, that your writing is is rather brave. You like to explore um, some of the more difficult aspects of life. Some of the things you've written about are. Um, mental health struggles, including your own, um, a home invasion, racism, death, a train crash, a close call with sexual assault. Um, where do you get this kind of um, emotional uh, bravery? Well, you know, when you hear the list of all the things, it's, it, yeah, it's, I, I get it. It's striking and, and uh, <laughs> the where I get the, what was it that you asked, emotional bravery? Yeah. You know, it's, I have never once considered it brave to write the truth. And I think that's the thing is there's this prevalence of, I heard this term recently, 
um, toxic positivity, right? We're always mm-hmm. trying to just put our best faces forward and gloss over the hard stuff because mm-hmm. life can be really hard. Yeah, but it's very American, I think. Very much so. Yeah, and and I grew up in an environment where there was a lot of, you know, you'll be fine, you've got this sort of stuff. I appreciated that, and I also had experiences that were traumatic, and I never really knew how to. Um, talk about those things and so my writing has really been my outlet to talk about the tough stuff and as soon as I can open up and share challenges um, I feel a release but uh, it, it astounds me sometimes though some of the experiences that I've had and I've asked myself why uh, some of these things have happened um there's been a lot. There's there's definitely been a lot. There's no question about that. It's it's the only way I get through it is to write about it. But um, it, it gives me peace. I think just to describe the reality of some of the stuff I've gone through, and particularly the mental health challenges. I mean, I have anxiety, and I've struggled with depression when I didn't address anxiety. And those two things, I've been amazed at the response when I write about them because there are so many of us who struggle with them in different ways and either don't know how to talk about them or ask for help or... um, I've heard it said that uh, depression and anxiety are like the common cold of mental illness mental illness yeah they really are and I I think what I really learned was that um, I mean for a really long time I didn't know what depression was I thought something was wrong with me when I felt that cloak of heaviness on me I didn't have language to describe what it was and I didn't really know of anybody else who talked about it openly so the longer I went in life without knowing how to manage depression. The longer I felt um, all different sorts of things. I felt broken, inadequate, uh, unworthy, you, you name it. And then somebody was so kind and said to me, it was a therapist one time, and I thought, oh, well, I'm going to therapy and I'm still depressed. What's wrong with me? She said to me, you know, sometimes you just really need to invest in yourself and and learn some of the skills that you may not have been taught or have at the ready so I made and I was fortunate to to have access to healthcare, but I made a choice to go to a program that helps people with severe anxiety and I'd had like we talked about I'd had some traumatic experiences in my life with a train crash and with a sexual assault Um, I was a child of divorce. I had an alcoholic parent. So you kind of throw all that stuff into the mix. I think that definitely increases one's, um, the prevalence of anxiety in future years. Absolutely. And without, um, really realizing that that stew was brewing, I just figured something was wrong with me. And as soon as I went to a place, and when I say went to a place, I, I just want to tell anybody who's ever, you know, considered treatment or wondered about treatment I always assumed that treatment was for 
people with addiction or who had been arrested and had to go to treatment, what I didn't realize was it's almost, in some cases, like for me, like going to school. I sat down in an office building with other people who were just like me, uh, working in you know nine to five jobs, had families, and we just talked. But we talked in a setting that was more in depth and really ha- gave gave ourselves the time to process stuff. So what I learned was I am emotionally in touch with a lot of things, but I was lacking in some skills and understanding about what anxiety does to you if you don't address it. And for me, it was very simple. Without addressing my anxiety, it would turn into depression. So as soon as I recognized how to um, acknowledge and validate the anxiety that I was feeling and give language to it and give it space to breathe, uh, it, it took away its power. And I mean, I used to be on antidepressants. I used to be on medication and none of them were working. And I realized I wasn't really addressing what I was challenged with. I was just muting myself. And so um, it's been enlightening. And I I wish I would have known it before my 40s, but I'm so glad that I figured out with the help of, you know, professionals how um, how how to talk about this stuff. And so I am, I... I'm so happy that I've been able to talk about something that touches other people. I just had no idea how many people were masking and, and shielding their own anxiety. So if, if it helps, I'm, I'm really happy. Well, I'm sure it's a real gift that you give to people who can read about somebody else's experiences. Tell me what kind of, like, if you have written about um, depression or anxiety, what kind of feedback have you received that lets you know that doing this kind of writing has an impact on people? Two things almost always happen when I write about anxiety, depression, mental health. I'll either get private messages like crazy, just, you know, people saying, um, thank you for talking about this. I've been struggling and I just appreciate seeing it, you know, in on the page or on the screen or I get um, messages from from people asking where to go, what to do, uh, asking for help. It's almost like a, opening a door for them. So the, the feedback of those sorts is just so gratifying because it makes me realize, you know, those words that I was able to put out gave somebody... Um, recognition and and validated their their struggle Mm. and I've been there how do you um how do you decide uh what kind of story you're going to write how does it come to you perhaps what your next story is going to be and like I mean even today like are you thinking about something how does it come to you how do you decide what it is what subjects you're going to tackle um there isn't one way into a story necessarily but I think the the stories that tend to get um, shared the most and that I think resonate most with people are the ones that I am so moved to write that I can't not not write, them. write it yeah. yeah and it's the stuff that keep, may, might keep me up at night or you know bring me to tears or just infuriate me I mean I for instance I remember when um, 
Deje Coleman, who was a young man at Evanston Township High School uh, when he was shot right near Church and Dodge. And my son was a classmate of his. There wasn't even a question about um, wanting to write about what that made me feel like. And I didn't really know if I had the right to write about somebody else's child's murder. Um, And I am a white woman, and this, you know, child, 14-year-old boy was black. And I thought, who who am I to even try to wrap my head around um, pretending like this should impact me in a way that, that matters? You know, am I making this about me? But the truth was, I was just so moved by my fury and my confusion and my fear and my desire to do something. And I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know how to make it better but I just knew that I had to do something and so I um, I felt like I had to write about it mm-hmm. can you describe some uh, maybe one or two other stories that really um, were really you were really powerfully moved to write about um, and why yeah I think uh, that story um, you know the one The one that was early on when I was just starting and blogging, um, there had been a suicide right near my house. A young man named um, Colin Dalebrew, he had struggled with mental illness and um, committed suicide with a pipe bomb right near Nichols Middle School. Oh, I remember that. And, you know, I, I was just this just this you know new blogger who was writing about learning her way through becoming a children's writer and when that happened I again just I I couldn't stop thinking about what somebody must get to the whole thing was just the only way I could process the experience of knowing what um, happened in my neighborhood and how it was impacting all of us was to was to write about it um there I think I think the most healing thing that I've ever written about besides anxiety and depression um was this train accident that I had been in and Mm, tell me about that yeah I I never really um appreciated the fact that it had been such a traumatic experience that I that I buried for the longest time and I i never talked about it at all and finally I somehow um sat down and and wrote about it I researched it a bit and learned the specifics and the details about what happened it happened in 93 it was an Amtrak crash that uh I was on a train that hit a propane gas truck and dramatic it was really um when it happened it was just sort of it happened and we moved on but years later I decided I'd tackle it and that was just so it was freeing in a way um, to sort of release that tension and anxiety and trauma and feel like I was in control of of a really out of control situation and not feel so victimized 
the the best part about it was though hearing from some of the people who had been on that train and well there's the there's the connection aspect of the storytelling yeah, right for sure yeah. so you heard from some of them and I did I heard from um some survivors I certainly heard from um some people who had uh had relatives who were impacted by it and it was uh unexpected unexpected connections you have also um appeared on stage i believe mm-hmm. more than once mm-hmm. <laughs> in a storytelling show called mortify yes where people read from their old journals yes uh What's that like, and what what drives uh, you to do such a such a thing? And maybe tell me a little bit about your experience on Mortified and what kinds of stuff you shared there. Absolutely. Uh, when I heard about Mortified, I I didn't know how the whole structure of the performance went. I just thought people show up at a, a venue and you bring your journal, and maybe they call you up on stage and you get to read from it. So the first time I went to it, I brought my childhood journals from middle school waiting to get hoping to get called that's not how it works you're curated with a producer and you you find a passage that really has a theme and a thread and a narrative so I sat down eventually with the producer and we went through this whole diary of mine and oh you did that together we did it together you the producer in your journal correct wow and and I said you know here's what I think would be really funny to talk about and I there were I don't know some goofy cheerleading thing from my high school and she didn't laugh and I (laughs) I realized okay well maybe we'll find something else and as I was flipping through the pages I said well we're definitely not going to talk about this experience and it had been an awful experience with a high school boyfriend I hear a bingo coming right (laughs) (laughs) and uh she said this is what we're going to talk about and I said absolutely not no it was just too mortifying it was mortifying (laughs) I would never share this and as I sat and I talked to her about it I cried and and I thought why does she even want to hear about this 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 show mortified is supposed to be you know funny you want to get the audience laughing at stuff and what she said to me was so profound and she said here's the thing you have the ability especially as a writer but all of us do to sort of reframe things that happened to us. So she said, what happened to you in high school might have been horrific and devastating and mortifying, but you're going to get up on that stage and you're going to put it into language that, you know, gives you the power to say maybe how you wish it would have ended or what you wish you would have said. And in that turn of events, I looked at this experience and I rewrote... I didn't change any details, but I kept out the stuff that just almost killed me. And instead, I threw some humor in about, you know, what a sucky situation it was. And um, and I had fun with it. So it turned a really sour, awful, awful um, time in my life into something that I just felt on top of the world about because I think a lot of people could relate to um something that I had gone through too. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah, and I guess you went back for more, so it must have been yeah. must have been a positive overall. Yes. So you run around Evanston quite a bit, I think, uh looking for your stories. What have you um what do you 
learned about Evanston as you operate here as a writer? I'm like, what what have, what have you learned about our community? Uh, the, the biggest thing I've learned, and I've been here a really long time now, is it is a community of opportunity if you are willing to stay open to it. Uh, it's, it is constantly changing. It is, um, there's, there's so much opportunity for growth and introspection. And, um, and that's what I really appreciate about it because people come here for all different sorts of reasons. And I think when I initially came here, it was to be close to the city, to be close to the lake, to have good schools to have what we all, you know, in quotes, think about like, oh, it's an absolutely diverse kind of community. I had no idea what that meant. I just thought I want to be somewhere where um, there's lots of dynamic opportunities. What I have found is there's just so much truth here and truth telling um, and that's been, it, it's been challenging. It's been, um, it's been really empowering. It's been painful and it's been something that I've, um, I, I realize I'm, I don't ever want to leave here because it just, it's a place that keeps me, um, thinking constantly. Yeah. Well, so many of us feel that way, right? Um, like there's no place we'd rather live. Can, can you tell me, as I have to ask you, as a writer, what role uh, the library uh, plays for you in your uh, work life or, or otherwise? You have been published in these untraditional ways, and soon you will be published in a traditional way. Yeah. And how be, do you feel about that? I am still in disbelief because the idea of having an actual book that I can go into the Evanston Public Library and point to that has, you know, a number in the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> it still has meaning, doesn't it? <laughs> it absolutely does. Yeah. And I am so proud of all the other stuff that I've done and the online content and, and, and everything. But uh, it's just, I have such reverence for anybody who has um, published a book because I'm not there yet. I'm right there. And I know the years that I have had to put into this and the terror and the, the learning curve and the um, questions and the, it's, putting a book together is just, um, it, it is in itself a marathon. It's a political memoir that you're working on and you can't tell us much more about it, right? We have to wait. It's political biography. Political biography. Yep. And yep. Any, any other details we can know or is that about it for now? Right now, all I'm allowed to say is it is a, a political biography and um, yeah, that it's coming out in 2021. I wish I could tell you more. I can't wait to share it with everybody. I wrote it with uh, my co-author, Jay Pridmore, it's coming out, the book is coming out next year, and we spent a significant amount of time at the library, not only meeting and talking about the subject, but also doing a ton of research. And I had not appreciated how many resources we'd be able to tap into that really, really helped us in ways that, you know, I mean, Ancestry.com, lots of the the resources that are on the library's website that 
you can access for free. I had no sense whatsoever that we could do that. Um, The library has really been the heart of where I'd done all of my research and spent my time and gave me a sense of kind of a place to go. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about um, Writer's Haven. I know this is a big um, project of uh, love and passion for you. I know it was also delayed by the pandemic, but um, I think it's something that the community writers in the community will be really excited to know about. So um, tell me a little bit about Writer's Haven. Thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, writers are a, a unique bunch because we are often so independent and we need to work in a solo setting but we crave connection but it's a special kind of connection where you want to be near each other but not in each other's way and so what I've found in my years of writing is it's nice to have a space to be with other writers um, in our in our very unique patterns so the house that I have has the space for um, writers to gather and I created before the pandemic these little nooks and spaces for writers to just hang out and and be in their own zones but to kind of you know get together for a cup of coffee or to sit in um, a living room setting and just chat right right before the pandemic hit I had started opening my door and clients were coming in and I was getting great feedback and then we just stopped we we had to stop and it will come back and we'll try to do stuff over the winter sitting outside by the fireplace and just adapt but for now we can't do it inside it's just too too risky for everybody how how will it work if somebody wants to be a part of writer's haven what is what's the model for how how um somebody can be a part of writer's haven sure i mean there's there's different ways people can come just for a a drop-in on a day you know come for a few hours and work in one of the rooms um they can reserve a a spot at the communal uh, table which is in my dining room and you can work quietly with other writers um there's a there's a membership or you can just do an hourly thing it's really quite flexible depending on what a writer's needs are and what their budget is and how would somebody um find out more about writer's haven if they wanted to oh they can just pop onto my website it's christinewolf.com <laughs> good um so you have recently uh just finished a marathon walk around evanston you looped uh, Evanston twice the marathon was Chicago marathon was canceled this year but you decided you were going to do your own DIY marathon and I know that you raised um, funds for the um, YWCA the YWCA um, yeah tell, tell me a little bit about why you um, did that why why did you raise money for the Y in particular well right before the pandemic hit Uh, I had had surgery and I knew that I needed to get moving and uh, kind of rebuild my strength. Last year I'd done the Chicago Marathon. I walk. I don't run. I'm not built that way. Have you seen? I'm five feet tall. I don't have the legs for for running. But um, when the Chicago Marathon was canceled this year, I was crushed at first and then they offered a virtual 
option and a sort of a DIY. And I thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm, I'm going to stay close to home. And it was a pretty natural thing to think, why not just walk in a loop or two around my my city, the city that I love. And I, I part of the the route that I created was to make a loop around Evanston Hospital where uh, surgeons had helped me back in um, February, right before the pandemic. And so it was just sort of a, a natural thing to, to do it here. What I found doing it, though, was um, just... I really think that every every kid in Evanston should have almost like a required PE. Uh, I, I don't know what it would be. Um, it should be required walking around, making a loop around Evanston because there is there is no greater um, example of just there's so much there's so much to see in our town, and it's only what is it eight nine miles around once. Why did you choose the why to raise money for? I chose the why. They're a beneficiary of my business as well. I just, I think there are two missions of working to eliminate racism and empower women are exactly what I aspire to, to do. Um, I've been raising money for them through Writers Haven Evanston as well. Part of all of my profits go to them. Uh, so it was just a natural, absolutely natural thing that I wanted to raise money for for such a worthy cause, especially right now. I think there's just something about the way you just looped Evanston twice and the way you were roaming around our city. And then immediately thereafter, you did publish a story about how you felt you hadn't done enough that um, the discomfort that you felt from doing your 26 miles was really nothing compared to the pain of racism and how you would like to, you know, how it just made you think about that. And I just think it really epitomizes you roaming around our city, trying to make connections about things that matter to you and connecting to, to people and to um, causes that can make a difference. Um, Thank yes. you. Yeah, so there was really something about that. That's so you. I just love how you said that because it's not really, uh, I hadn't thought about it that way. But yeah, and I do roam around a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm nosy. <laughs> well, keep being nosy because we keep we, we want to hear more of your stories. Thank you. Um, and if people want to read your stories and they don't know where to find you, where 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 can they see your work? Oh, sure. Well, the easiest way is on my website. I try to link all of my work there, and that's christinewolf.com. Or they can go to Medium, and I have a page there. But um, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much for being on the checkout, Christine. Thank you, Jill. Hope you enjoyed that episode. And I want to remind you that we are your public library. We are always here for you in person or at epl.org.